You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 619 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Wednesday afternoon, actually. A little bit of an odd time for, to, for me to be recording a podcast, but I tried to record late night last night on Tuesday. I had some technical, technical difficulties, so my apologies on the slightly delayed arrival of this podcast. But for the most part, it's going to be a mailbag, deep dive, uh, three or four questions with some uh, deeper answers to it. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the podcast as it's about to be coming. Um, with that said, I do want to plug a couple things before we get going here. Uh, that We had a news-based show earlier this week, as well as a, a recent visit from Tower Jones at the end of last week, talking about a lot of different things. That was a long, fun conversation that I definitely encourage you to listen to. In terms of planning for the rest of the week, I'm hoping, beyond hope, to have a guest that I have lined up tentatively for Thursday evening that would drop on Friday morning. Perhaps, if that does not happen, hopefully that will go into next week, but uh, in the near future, that guest will be coming on. Uh, And there's one bit of minor news to pass along on the podcast today, and that is that the Hawks... uh, Preseason game in New York City against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden on October 16th is going to be on on ESPN, um, according to what was announced on Wednesday afternoon by the NBA. The the first three games of the preseason, which are all before that one, are going to be broadcast locally on Fox Sports Southeast, but that's going to be a national television game in New York, and if all goes according to plan, I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussions about um, Cam Reddish playing against um, R.J. Barrett and the Knicks, plenty of stuff going on there, and um, only one game now, as of right this second, in the preseason that will not be on TV, at least locally, for the Hawks, so something to uh, grab hold of at this point in time. Okay, with that said, we'll transition now into the mailbag portion of the podcast. Um, First question comes from Jamie, who asks, If you had to pick a member of the Hawks to lead the entire league in a specific stat category this season, what would it be? And who would be the leader? Um, I came up with three options. I do think there's one clear winner that I'm going to save for the end of the three. There, there are three options that I always came up with that were always traditional stats that you could point to. I think the least likely of these three would be Kevin Herter leading the league at three-point shooting. That is at least conceivable to me. Uh, last season, Herter finished 36th in the NBA in three-point percentage at 38.5%. Joe Harris led the league at about 47%. That's a big gap, of course. Uh, Danny Green and Seth Curry shot, shot about 45%, and then Steph Curry, um, obviously the best shooter in the history of the league, shot 44% from three. Everybody else was 43% or lower. Um, with that said, um, there's a lot of turnover in this category. Usually, for instance, um, two seasons ago and last season, there's only one repeat player in the top 10 of three-point shooting, and that was Buddy Heald. Steph Curry was uh, in the top 20 both seasons, but the only guy to finish in the top 10 two years in a row of the last two years, three-point percentage in terms of qualified guys, was Buddy Heald. So a lot of turnover there. I do think that Kevin Herter, in a one-season sample, could shoot in the mid-40s. I think that was not – it's not going to be his uh, his full-time, you know, career line. But as we've seen, guys are capable of having one-year um, blips where they, where, they really go, where they really get hot. And I think Herter might be a true talent 40% three-point shooter, which is uh, very, very good, of course. So I think it's unlikely, obviously, that Herter will be able to post the 45 46% that's probably going to be needed to actually win this category, but it's not impossible, so he could certainly do that, especially if the attempts were taken at a premium. Second on the list here 
it would be John Collins leading the league in offensive rebounding. Um, last season, he finished sixth in the NBA in offensive rebounding at 3.6 per game. Uh, Andre Drummond was the runaway winner at 5.4 per game. And then Collins trailed um, Drummond, Stephen Adams, Clint Capella, Enos Cantor, and Rudy Gobert. Um, I think that Collins could pretty easily get into the top three this season when he's playing more minutes. And, of course, uh, I think he's probably even stronger than he's ever been, etc. But if Drummond were to do what he's been able to do the last five or six years pretty much in a row, I don't see Collins unseating him at five, five and a half per game. That's a lot of offensive rebounds per game with the way that Collins is playing versus Drummond, just the physical size of Drummond. Might be too much there, but I think it's at least possible that Collins could get into that rare air if he were to really focus on that and the Hawks were to unleash him on the offensive glass. Um, the actual winner, though, for me in this category would be Trey Young leading the league in total assists. Um, last season, he finished second, so n- not a huge uh, hot take by me to talk about Trey leading the league in assists. Um, last year, he was way behind Russell Westbrook. Um, in fact, Russ, Russ had 784 total assists. Trey had 653, and he was still second place, so Russ had a massive advantage there. But Trey was also fourth in assists per game at 8.1 last year. Russ led the league at 10.7, followed by Kyle Lowry at 8.7, and Chris Paul at 8.2. I do think Kyle Lowry, that was a career high for him. I think, And he, he pretty much cooled off after the first few months. So I think, um, in general, that's more than he's going to be projected to have this year. Chris Paul's kind of the wild card for me because if he's healthy and invested and just available to play, he could certainly lead the league in, three, in, in, in assists. He's done it a few times in his career, obviously. And if he's playing a lot in Oklahoma City as the primary engine of the offense, he might put up a lot of assists. Um, but Westbrook... The numbers are going to drop for him because of Harden uh, just being in Houston. The fact that he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. I think um, because also because Westbrook is there, Harden probably isn't going to win either. He was usually a top five guy the last few years in assists. There are some guys who were behind Young last year that could contend theoretically. You know, Ben Simmons, De'Aaron Fox, for instance. But I can't imagine anybody but these top four or five guys actually leading the league in assists this season. Honestly, I think I'm going to actually pick Trey Young to lead the league in total assists. And that's uh, not per game, but total assists because I think he's going to be very durable. Last year, he played 81 games. Could have been 82. He was not really injured uh, severely. Could have played all 82 if that game mattered at all. You could never really project a guy to play all 82 games, but I think Trey is pretty safe to play in 75-plus games, barring some weird injury. He's been pretty durable in his career. And uh, as a result of that, I think he's going to play a lot more than guys like Chris Paul are going to play in terms of uh, just total minutes um, over, over the course of the season. I don't think I would pick necessarily pick Young to lead the league in assists per game by himself, but he certainly could do that, to be honest with you. And I think it's pretty clearly the most likely scenario for a Hawk to lead the league in the category is going to be Trey in, in total assists, followed by assists per game. I think he could certainly do both of those and would not surprise anyone if he was able to do that this season. Uh, all right, with that said, we will get to a quick break here to listen to a word from our sponsors, and we'll come right back with more mailbag questions. All right, and we're back. Uh, next question is a little bit, a little bit shorter in nature. It comes from Will, who asks, which two-way or Exhibit 10 guy on the roster is most likely to end up with a full roster spot by the end of the season? Just for uh, clarity's sake, the options here on two-ways or Exhibit 10s, and by the way, Exhibit 10 just means a non-guaranteed uh, training camp contract. Uh, the two-ways, of course, are Charlie Brown, who the Hawks signed right after the draft, and then Brandon Goodwin, who's uh, the sort of de facto third point guard. In the Exhibit 10s right now, the camp invites are Ray Spaulding and Marcus Derrickson. Um, the Hawks could certainly add another guy for training camp between now and then. There's no reason that they couldn't. They have the roster spot they want to. They don't necessarily need one unless there are more injuries, though. I think for the record, I'm going to say that I think the most likely scenario to start this season is that the Hawks 
will only have 14 on their roster. It's something that Travis Schleck mentioned early in the offseason. I, I think there's not really a glaring need that they actually have to address right now unless there's an injury. So with Vince Carter on board at 14, I'm going to guess, this is not sourced, I've not been told this directly, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an educated guess that the Hawks are going to start the season with 14 on their full roster, unless someone like Ray Spalding just blows them away in camp and they want to keep him around. But you know, even even then, they could probably keep him in the G League for uh, emergency situations. Um, I do think if they end up filling it, though, it's going to be Spalding. I think it's, I think he's a legitimate, um, interesting prospect. I was surprised, honestly, that he signed with Atlanta with an Exhibit 10. I think he's a little bit better than that, frankly. Um, for instance, I think the Lakers would like to have Ray Spalding on the roster right now as a backup center option because he's young and vibrant. Um, but anyway, by the end of the season, I think Goodwin is the most likely to end up with a full contract uh, in the same mold of Jalen Adams last year. I think if you get a trade or if uh, you know if Evan Turner just doesn't work out as a, back, as a backup point guard, elevating Goodwin could make some sense because he's right now the only um, the only backup point guard in a, in a traditional sense on the entire roster. Um, I do think that you know that's been uh, that's been discussed ad nauseum. But if anything anything were to happen to Trey Young, they almost certainly have have to go to Brandon Goodwin for extended time, barring a barring a trade. So I think he's definitely the uh, the easiest decision in terms of just making the team on a full roster contract by the end of the year. That will not happen early on, but it could happen once he exhausts his 45 days of eligibility on a two-way contract. I think Brown might be my favorite prospect of the bunch in terms of his actual upside, because considering the way he can shoot it, if he can figure out a way to defend. But I think with the roster as is right now, I can't imagine him getting a lot of exposure and a lot of time with the big league club this year, barring some injuries. So I will say Goodwin's the most likely there, and then we'll see what happens from there. Uh, next on the agenda is a question from Dylan on Twitter who asks, what 2020 draft prospects are your favorite for the Hawks? And more specifically, what do you think of Anthony Edwards? Um, I'll hold Anth- Edwards to the end. Uh, I have to be the first person to say that I'm definitely not ready to talk about this just yet. Uh, I will say that you know I'm definitely a draft person. If you, listen, if you listen to this podcast over the last few years or read my work or followed me on Twitter, you would know that I'm very interested in the draft. I am kind of the draft guy for Dime Magazine, um, and I'm definitely plugged in with that said, um, I'm not quite there yet for this year. Um, most of my energy is spent during the college season evaluating guys who are in college. And then, of course, I will find the top tier European prospects or international prospects and uh, watch them plenty. But right now in August, I've not seen a ton of these guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm relying on some information from people that I trust. And uh, the few guys that I've looked at so far, I will pass that information along. Okay, with that said, uh, the people that I trust are kind of all over the place, all over the place on James Wiseman. Who was number one for a lot of people a couple of uh, years ago, even in the last year? Seven one with a seven six wingspan, kind of a physical freak kind of player. If you think he hits his upside um, on defense, I think he make a ton of sense for this Hawks roster. So through a Hawks prism, if Wiseman were to pop and figure out how to play um, with his his raw tools, are really interesting at the center at the center spot alongside John Collins. I think Cole Anthony and RJ Hampton are both uh, sort of projected top five guys, but they don't really fit as great fits in Atlanta. They kind of, at least from what I've seen so far, they're definitely on-ball guys without great size, so they probably wouldn't be the greatest fit in the world with Trey Young. Um, Theo Maladon, I apologize if, it's, if that's the wrong uh, pronunciation, sort of the same as Anthony and Hampton. I haven't seen him at all, though, honestly. He's supposed to be he's, he's a 6'4 guard from France, so people, people like a lot. I've not seen him at all, so I have nothing there. Um, Denis o- Abdia, I think is the way you say his name. Uh, I've not seen a ton of him, but a little I've seen I've actually really liked. It's a 6'9 forward with a bunch of high-end passing vision. Going to have to make shots from what I understand about his profile, but someone who could be a good fit in Atlanta if it were to work out. 
Scotty Lewis is an incoming freshman, easier traditional fit with the Hawks. He's 6'6", with a 7-foot wingspan and a good motor. Uh, needs to show that he can shoot it, though. That's kind of the swing skill for him. I'm not sure there's a single returning college player that I would right now project as like a possible lottery pick for the Hawks. I think the guys who are widely projected to be top 5, top 20, sorry, sorry top 15 or 20 picks wouldn't be great fits. Like Trey Jones is a pure point guard defensive guy, but not really a top 15 kind of prospect for this Hawks team, etc. So the guy I would say is that's my favorite returning guy for the Hawks, if it all works out, would be Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. I think he's just a pretty interesting prospect in a lot of ways. Checks, checks a lot of boxes and might fit well in Atlanta. Last thing, uh, the Anthony Edwards question. He is uh, by far the most, the most talked about prospect locally where I am. He is 6'5", super athletic, going down to play for Tom Green, Tom Crean at Georgia. So obviously a pretty interesting prospect and probably the guy that I will see uh, in person the most over the next year. I plan to go out to Athens a few times to check him out in person for draft purposes. He's known for his highlight dunks at this point in time, um, at, least, at least in terms of just national exposure, but definitely a top five consensus prospect. Um, has the potential to shoot it off the balance and off the catch. Less of a pure on-ball guy than some of the backcourt players that I've discussed earlier on the podcast, which makes him a little bit better fit in Atlanta. He is bigger and physical, makes it a potential easy fit alongside Trey Young. He plays hard from what I've seen, can defend, I think, in the NBA when he fills out. He's already really strong. That really helps as well. I'll be interested to see what his actual measurables are. That could be a swing thing for him, but if, um, if he grows a little bit, I think he might be the early leader in terms of a lot what people are saying for number one overall. So definitely a top three sort of consensus number one overall pick um, possibility. So I'm not sure if the Hawks take the step forward that many believe that they can this year, that they'll be in the mix there unless they get lucky in the lottery. But Edwards, because he's playing college basketball down the road, will be of great interest. And I do like that fit since he was asked about that specifically. I wanted to pass that along and what I have seen from him. Um, yeah, one more. Uh, sorry. Yeah, one more. One more question to get to. I think it's going to be a little bit of a lengthier response, but this one came from Matt. Um, can you expand on the question from your Peace Hoops roundtable today? What do you think are the chances that Trey Young and or John Collins make the all-star team this season? If you missed that, um, myself and about 10, 12 people from, Peace, from, from the Peace Hoops staff have been doing 10 uh, roundtable question and answers on the site. So uh, I think the one that went up today, as you're listening to this, Wednesday morning was about Trey and John and the potential to make the all-star our team, which kind of leans there. Overall, I will I'll dig that I'll dig deeper in a second. But my, my overall take on this is that I expect them to take steps forward. Obviously, this season, either one of them could make it pretty easily with their with their numbers. They're going to have great stats, especially Collins. I think is a pretty safe bet to have great efficiency. Even last year, he was basically a 2010 guy with high end efficiency. That's usually an all star package. With that said. Um, you know, having both of them on the roster is sort of a uh, talking point that I was talking about earlier on Twitter with Tower Jones and some other people, and uh, I'm open to discussion on this, but in my opinion, I think it's not very likely that the Hawks get two first-time All-Stars um, this season, partially because of the fact that the Hawks don't project at the time of the All-Star voting in like January, February. With the schedule the way they have it right now, which is pretty brutal in the first half of the season, I don't think the Hawks are going to be 500 or better. I think they're going to be a pretty safe bet to be under 500 at that point in time. So traditionally, you don't you don't very often see from what I have, and I've been looking at this actually quite a bit in preparations for this and other things that I'm looking at for the future. But traditionally, uh, the way that coaches are voting, you know, by the way, NBA coaches vote on the reserves for the NBA All Star Game, and I can't imagine uh, Young and Collins being voted in right now with the way that the Hawks are kind of treated nationally. I guess if Trey had an electric start to the season. 
season. Maybe he would get some attention, but you still have Kyrie Irving in the Eastern Conference, for instance. He's going to get probably more attention, etc. So you're probably talking about reserve spots. And as a result of that, I think coaches are usually a year behind, not a year ahead, or at least appropriately. So I think it's very, very possible that both Young and Collins have all-star stats and an all-star profile. But if you combine the usual delay of what coaches see when it comes to young players making their first all-star game and the fact that the Hawks are not going to be in the playoff picture in my opinion in terms of when it when this is voted on voted on based on what I think of the team this year and the schedule they're going to improve late in the year but that's probably going to happen a lot of that's going to happen after the all-star break considering the schedule so all that to say I think it's more likely that both those guys have all-star potential than it is that they actually um make the team together I do think though one of them um, I'm not really sure which one. I think Trey has an easier path given the position that he plays. But I also think that I'm on record as saying Collins is a safer bet to produce all-star numbers because of the efficiency. You know, Trey might struggle a little bit with efficiency, like as we saw last year. On the whole, it was still fine. 54% true shooting, etc. But there's at least a scenario I can see when Trey does not post great efficiency in the first half of the season, whereas John, you know, even in his rookie season, was really efficient. So all that to say, um, I think they, they have a chance for sure, to make it. I think one of them, I think um, picking one is tough, but I think the combination, if you give me both odds, um, one of those guys is probably, I don't know, maybe not likely to make the All-Star team, but very, very possible. I think I'm going to pick one of them to make it. I think one is more likely than zero, and then zero is more likely than two, if that makes sense, to make it. But a little bit of a deeper dive to just kind of illustrate my thinking a little bit here. I think there are nine guys who who I think are pretty clearly more likely to make it either because they're just better than those guys right now, like Giannis, for instance, or because they play on a better team that has more respect around the league and they have the pedigree of being there before. So those nine guys are Giannis, of course, who's the reigning MVP and easily the best player in the conference. You have Joel Embiid, you have Kemba Walker, you have Kyrie Irving, you have Blake Griffin, uh, Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, considering he made it last year and just the the stats he's going to put up. Pascal Siakam is probably the most controversial name on this list, and I'll talk about him more in a second. Jimmy Butler and uh, Chris Middleton. So the absolute locks for me, if they are healthy, are Giannis, Embiid, Kemba, Kyrie, and Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake is not always healthy, so that's that's why I kind of add that caveat. Same thing with Embiid. I think if Beal repeats last season, he's an absolute lock, considering the numbers he put up last year, but that's kind of at least a little bit more uncertain. I think Simmons, numbers-wise, and the fact that Philly's going to be very good this year, has a pretty easy path to returning to the All-Star game, might even be voted in, etc. Um, Butler, number one option now. You know, Last year he didn't make it, which is worth pointing out, but there was some weirdness there with the trade, the timing of that. Um, he's the number one option in Miami. If he's healthy, the numbers are, g- are going to follow, and he has the pedigree of being a previous all-star. That's something to point out as well. Middleton um, is not sexy at all, but he made the team last year. He's on the Olympic team, uh, sorry, the World Cup team, and he's the second best player on the Bucks. and I think with the Bucks, how, how often they're going to win, they usually look for a second all-star. He may not make it, but it's he's definitely not a lock, but if he, if, he, if, he, if he repeats last year, he's probably going to make it based on the team success and the way that he's been playing. And then last time, the last one of those nine is Pascal Siakam. He requires some projection, I think a little bit, but with, with Kawhi gone and the way that he played late last season, he's pretty likely to produce some great numbers, I think, on Toronto, and I think Toronto is going to be better than the Hawks this year. So if he's the face of that team, face of that franchise, the returning champion, got a, got a lot of visibility from the from the finals, I think Siakam's pretty likely to make it. Um, but if you, disagree, if you disagree with one of those or two of those, I totally understand that. But regardless, there are probably six, seven, eight, maybe even nine guys who are flat out more likely to make it than Collins and Young. And of course, there are other options that I want to touch on real quickly here. Um, 
there are guys that I sort of grouped together as recent all-star selections who have been there before in the last couple of years. Kyle Lowry has been there five years in a row, which might be surprising, uh, but Lowry is very well respected. And again, this is a coach vote award. Coaches are voting here, and Kyle Lowry has a really nice reputation around the league. I do think the counting stats will be interesting there for for Kyle's candidacy, and the Raptors won't be as good as they were last year. So he's not a lock, but Lowry's going to get some respect for sure in the voting. Uh, Victor Oladipo is not going to play enough, most likely, to make this, but if he was healthy, he would be on the inside track. I'm not sure he's going to make it, though, based on the injuries. Uh, Nikola Vucevic had a career year last year. I'm not going to say he's going to repeat that. If you listen to the podcast with Robbie Callum that I did a couple of weeks ago about the uh, Eastern Conference, I'm not projecting a repeat for, v- for Vooch, but if he could do 90% of that, put up great numbers, and if Orlando is in the playoff picture, I do think I do, I do think that Orlando is going to be better than Atlanta this season. So if he's the best guy with the best numbers on a team that's going to be repeating as a playoff contender, and he made the team last year, he is pretty likely to make it. I think in some ways. And then Andre Drummond didn't make it last year, but is a two-time All Star and always has great stats. Um, I'm not the biggest Drummond fan in the world, but um, he's been there a couple times before and in the rebounding, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely coaches like Drummond to some degree. Then there are a couple of other guys that at least have tangible cases. I think probably less so than Young and Collins, but I wanted to re- at least reference three more guys that are going to be on good teams this year that have a chance because of the coach voting. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, who was in discussion last year and I guess was on the fringe of maybe making it last year. Al Horford, old friend, and Josh Richardson, who are both on Philly. Um, those guys are all on the top two teams projected this year, so usually there's a bump of someone. Maybe it's just Middleton. Um, we'll see what happens there, but... They all have a chance. Then you have, uh, for me, there's two more young guys who are projected to be sort of similarly um, in the class with Collins and Young that are on the same sort of age curve. Miles Turner in Indiana, um, I think, is their best player without Old Depot in the mix. And if the, if the Pacers are playing well without Old Depot, he's going to get probably some respect given the way that he played last year. And then Jason Tatum. Uh, I'm not the biggest Tatum guy in the world, but if he takes a step forward in a post-Kyrie world, the narrative will probably be there. He's he's pretty famous at this point in time, so he might have a chance as well. So. With that said, I think I would uh, flat out project, honestly, that Collins is going to have a top 12 resume to make the All-Star team. Now, does that mean he's going to make it? It's always interesting. I think coach vote makes it difficult. Again, I think coaches are always a year late rather than a year early or appropriately on these guys. And I think Collins could pretty much average 21 and 10, something like that, and not make it. That would not blow me away. It would be it would be frustrating because the Hawks are, uh, and I think Hawks fans would be rightly upset about that. I think Collins is going to have one of the 12 best stat resumes of anybody in the Eastern Conference, but we'll see if he makes it or not. Um, Trey has an easier path, actually, if you look at it the way way that the positions break down, because outside of Kemba and Kyrie, there really aren't guards that are locks. I guess if you want to tell me that Simmons is a guard, that's always going to be an interesting um, allocation. But behind that, it's basically just Lowry and Bledsoe. There aren't a lot. I guess Malcolm Brogdon, things went crazy in Indiana. I don't really see that happening. So I think Trey has an easier path, weirdly. But I think the safety of Trey putting up the numbers that Collins is going to put up isn't quite there. I think the assists are going to be there. If you heard this earlier in the podcast, I picked Trey to lead the league in total assists. I'm flat out picking that. So that's going to be there for sure. But I'm, you know, the efficiency is a swing thing on Trey and, of course, the defense. So I'm not sure. What's going to happen? It's not all that matters. Unfortunately, team success is going to be a talking point in the All-Star stuff. It kind of always is. And with the Hawks' schedule, it might not be great early on for the Hawks win-loss-wise. And as a result of that, I will not pick them to have two. I think one of these guys is going to get in. If you ask me right now I, to tell you which one, it becomes tougher because I think Collins has an easier statistical case and Young has an easier um, positional case. So we'll see what happens. But I think one is more likely than zero. Zero is more likely than two. And that's where I will leave it for right now. 
So, by the way, we just did a 10-minute all-star conversation in August, which means it's definitely time to end the podcast. Please subscribe to this show. Thank you for listening to the podcast, as always. I really appreciate it, but check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places, and we will see you all later on.